This past Monday, we took a trip to the Birmingham Jefferson Civic Center to experience the virtual Van Gogh exhibit. I think it ends today in Birmingham, but alas, there is good news. Atlanta will run it for three months, so I encourage you to drive to the Van Gogh exhibit in Atlanta if you haven't seen it already. I had heard several of you talk about it. I had seen some posts on social media. I had fallen in love with Van Gogh in fifth grade. I had a science teacher who also loved art, and she made us memorize the periodic table, learn how to do pointillism, and have an appreciation for Van Gogh and other who, others who were in Impressionistic period particularly. Now, isn't that fun? So I had to go. As you might recall, Vincent Van Gogh, he lived a complicated life. He struggled his entire life as to what his purpose would be. Am I going to follow in my father's footsteps and become a preacher? Am I going to study theology and write books? Will I become a philosopher? He was very well learned. He was highly emotional, but he, the whole time he struggled, he lacked confidence, he lacked direction, and art continued to tug at him. Nearly his entire life, he thought he was called to preach, but he just couldn't figure out what to do with his life. You know he had some very strange and complicated romances. He had a nuanced friendship with Monet, Gauguin, and, and his brother Theo even. There was some tumult there, even though his brother had taken him, in, taken him in. And who can forget, maybe this is why as a fifth grader I really liked Van Gogh. I mean, who can forget the ear-cutting mail it to the, you know, the X incident, right? That, among the other tumultuous, tumultuous pieces of his life, would, would lead him to a place of mental instability, a place where by his own admission he needed mental health care. He was constantly searching, moving from place to place, trying to figure out a sense of worth. He didn't have a very large social support group to get him through, so he entered St. Paul Mental Asylum in France, and it was from a small window that Vincent van Gogh peeked into the darkness and his brain recorded this amazing cosmic event that brought light to a small farm town below. He wasn't allowed to paint in his room. He had to commit all of this, just pondering, just staring, just being led, being inspired. He had, he had to lock it in the hard drive and then in a common area paint what we know as Starry Night perhaps my favorite painting, which is a big statement. It's like saying, what is your favorite song or your favorite snack? How does one pick just one? But that's up there, right? Starry Night, it has so much passion and so much movement to it and direction and intensity in the heavens and all of that is, is sort of laid over against the tranquility and the optimism that lies below. I've been traveling with one of my friends this past week, as we do each year in the days following Christmas, and we were discussing this painting, and he shared with me that he saw the painting in Atlanta uh, a few years back, well, a couple of decades back now, <laughs> and someone shared with him a very curious point, something that I have just sort of 
picked up and, and had in my pocket for a few days, and that is if, you, if one looks closely at Starry Night and draws closely particularly to the bright orbs that are in the night sky, one realizes that there's a small place where the, the painting is unfinished. You see canvas in the core. And I've wondered, why is that with these bright balls and Venus and the moon? I'm intrigued why this, these small portals were left. There was open canvas. Maybe, maybe Van Gogh was trying to signal that life is never fully complete. Or that all of us who are willing to peek into the light sense that we are this unfinished canvas. We always have room to be filled in and, and to grow. That There's an opportunity, this tabula rasa moment. So we follow its movements so intimately. And what we discover is having an experience like that, we leave, I don't know, a little bit different, unfinished even, unchanged, changed. Most art critics say that one may see oneself in Van Gogh's portraits, but I say that we see ourselves in, in Starry Night too, because the light and the dark, they always reside together, the high and, and the low, the stillness and the moving seasons all through life. We have this brilliant artist who was incessantly searching for identity and direction. That's enough art history talk, although I could go on and on and on and on and on. But there's something about this painting that says heaven and earth, they sort of bleed into one. And there's no lines between the two. Today, I've been thinking a lot about Luke as the patron saint of, of the arts. He has a canvas up there. He paints a lot of pictures in his gospel. Maybe Matthew adopted something along those lines. He seems to be painting a, a picture today, too. Today's reading has a little bit of everything one would want from a good story. It has intriguing characters. It has Herod, the antagonist, who fears Jesus, the protagonist, who is a baby who cannot walk, who cannot talk, which is a little comical, who fears a baby. Well, right. Power fears anything that actually or perceivably poses a threat. There was a new king born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of, of bread. Something had been unwrapped and, and displayed. That's what epiphany means, to be revealed. So this house of bread, the bread of life, came into the world. And so Herod, well, he just wanted to extend some radical hospitality by sending a reconnaissance team to find Jesus. Therein lies the conflict. Who is actually in power in this story? So these magi, they, they set out on this mission impossible type of journey. They're a band of travelers. They're following the sky. Lucas said there's no GPS at that moment to attach to their camels. And it all comes to a head when this star pauses over a manger in Bethlehem. Now stars don't move, as we have learned. 
They pause their YouTube playlist, but they found what they are looking for, and if that's not enough to pique one's interest, the story takes an unpredictable twist. These astrological travelers who were commissioned by King Herod, they decided to do two really odd things. First, they present gifts. And it's not, you know, teething rings or a subscription to pampers that they give to a child. They give gifts of royalty as if to make a political statement, a power statement even, to make a headline. You want to, you want to determine what power is out in the world, Let's, let me show you, it comes through vulnerability. So they recognize Jesus is king. From this chaotic world emerged these seekers who stepped into the order of worship, we might say. The second thing, and this is for me where the story becomes quite interesting. They do not return to Herod. They snub Herod. They say, we're not coming back to you. You told us to, you paid us. We're not coming back to you. It says in the text, they left by a different road than the one that brought them there. Now in the Greek, you can interpret the word road to also mean way. And that's where I want to sit for a minute. They left by a different way than they had arrived. They left an experience with Jesus differently from how they came. What changed? Why did they leave a different route? All Herod wanted was verification that some so-called king had been born, you know, lay eyes on him, go tell Herod, get paid some cheese, move on, go back to the east, it's all, it's all going to work out. But why did they change their minds? Why did they change their route? They left a way for a new way. That's what I want you to hear at the start of this new year. 2021 which is really just 2020 extended. It's all just kind of one big garbled year, isn't it? <laughs> it's caused us to arrive here a particular way. But I hope all of us are seeking enough, searching enough, seekers enough to find some new pathway. And every time we have an experience with Christ, albeit through the grace that's present in worship, through one of the songs that are sung, through a handshake around a coffee pot, through a familiar face saying, hey, I'm praying for you today, or through this meal, every experience is one that brings us from whatever we have encountered, the chaos, the turbulence, the, the big questions of life, down to a particular point in human history and in time to say, have thine own way, Lord. We can't help but leave differently than the way that we arrived. The, the Magi, by the way, are heralded as the patron saints of traveling for this reason. They, they travel some 900 miles from the east. Don't let it be lost on us this morning as we begin this new year together, as we think about building for the future and setting our sights for 2022. All that must have gone into a 900-mile trek 
If I go to East Chase, I got to make plans three days in advance. 900 miles on foot, by camel. What do you take? What do you not take? Who do you take? Who do you not take? How do you get there? What do you sacrifice to have an experience with Jesus Christ that will leave you changed and leaving a different way from that which you came? Two starry nights are inviting us to peer into a canvas to see what is unfinished and where do we fit into the story and, and to observe the bleeding together of heaven and earth and that there's always light in this world guiding our pathways. This text today invites us to approach a way, but to leave a new way on a new day. So we've made it here to this table. There's a lot that is behind us that has gotten us here to this point, right? Tough family relationships, complicated finances, jobs all over the place, up, down, loss, hired, changing, seasons of life. You got children pulling at this end, parents, you know, pulling at this end. There's, you know, there's any number of life scenarios that are, that are here. School, grades, ACT, SAT, which one matters the most? You know, it's, it's complicated. It's turbulent. And I think what we're being invited to this day, on this Epiphany Sunday, is we've been guided here by some kind of light within our souls. And we're leaning toward that light to say, give me a grace that matters. Give me some, some resolution. A resolution is something that's written, it's, it's passed, you know, it's stamped. It's a, it's a method, it's a process, it's a, it's a way of doing things, a resolution is. But it's also uh, pixel quality. When life seems so grainy with low resolution, we need higher resolution. We need a way to see life more clearly. And a revolution, we tend to think about, you know, revolution, woohoo, let's go change the world. But it can also mean emotion, like the globe, the earth orbiting, revolving. So if we think about our, our resolutions, if we think about the vastness of of creation, that God would, would bring heaven to earth and, and earth to heaven and, and bleed all that into one and, and the Christ child. What does it mean to resolve this year, to revolve around the grace of Christ that's already revolving around your life? That decision, that intentionality, that kind of sacrifice with our time and with our talents and with our treasures, that will start filling up that canvas and making us whole and purposeful. And it's the hope and the peace for which our community awaits. If we make that kind of resolution, and if we allow our lives to revolve around the grace of Christ that's already revolving within and around us, you know how God changes the world? One life at a time. You know, Jesus called his disciples one person at a time. You know how God continues to call disciples and change the world one of us at a time, one piece of bread at a time. At an 11 o'clock service, we have this great privilege of celebrating with Jillian and Charles the baptism of their child, Leonidas, Leo. <laughs> you know how God changes the world one baptism at a time. If we want to set some resolutions, we continue to lean into 
the nourishment that comes through communion. To find who needs to be baptized and signed and sealed and delivered in mission in the world. That's our focus. What I've discovered about the Starry Night 2,000 years ago and a Starry Night experience I had earlier this week is that things happening in the heavens are doing so because things are happening on earth. And things are happening on earth because things are happening in the heavens. We get to step into that this morning, literally. As we come forward and we present our hands to receive a little bread, to dip a little juice, to pay Christ homage, and then we leave a different way than we came. On August the 11th, 1755, John Wesley and the people called Methodists created a prayer that Methodists have been praying at the start of every calendar year ever since. That prayer is printed in your order of worship and as we prepare our hearts now for this holy meal, this holy mystery, the convergence once again of heaven and earth and us being able to leave a different way that we came, if you are so bold and daring, I would invite you to pray this prayer with me. Let us pray. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee, or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee, or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.